a club known as the Bumbling Fools. Watching the game and the best things in life is the motto and the road. So if you can open up your heart and hear me out just for tonight. Uh, hello and welcome to Unique West episode 340. I am your stupidly tired host for doing stupid things, Mike Ashes, A.K. Wheels, and with me as always. I'm with stupid. <laughs> Kearney Family Master. Ouch. <laughs> oh, wait, I called myself stupid. I can't complain. Yeah, that was a joke. Yes. We're tired. This uh, is really one. Yeah. Slightly different reasons. Yeah. Uh, you have better reasons than I do. Don't feel like any of them are happy reasons. We'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um... Uh, should we start with what we've been playing? Because uh, on stream right now, I have a brand new game to talk about, which I'm eager to talk about. That game looks so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just get started on, on this, because it's all I'm going to want to look at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the new Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, which is uh, kind of going back to the 2D roots to some extent, but it's more like a Metroidvania. And... Um, a lot of the inspiration, honestly, to me, feels like someone played a lot of Metroid Dread, for starters. It just moves really fast. and Yeah, I think I mentioned this when you were playing uh, the demo, but it reminds me of Dread and it reminds me of Ori. Yes, yeah, that's another good cons comparison. Uh, yeah, Ori and those are both very fast. Those are, yeah, and has this kind of intricate platforming that a lot of more Metroid style games, like, they don't usually dig into. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I, I should also point out that comparing comparing to those two is, like, the nicest thing I can say about most any uh, Metroid style games. Yes, because Metroid Dread and Ori are some of the best. Yeah, they're both brilliant. And this looks brilliant, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was really pleased when I saw the Digital Foundry review and the guy doing it was like, yeah, I'm a little I've gotten a little burned out on these as well, but this one was really good because it's like ah, someone who understands me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could probably feel some Rayman DNA here too, obviously given the studio. Which yeah, yeah, it was it was made by I think the last game that Montpellier uh, was Montpellier. Uh, behind the Mario and Rabbids games, or was that a different studio? No, that was a different studio. I, I, yeah, I, I think we saw Montpellier's last game might have been Rayman Legends. It's been a, lo a long time. It's yeah, it's probably true. They've probably been in uh, Beyond and Good and Evil 2 Hell for a while. Yeah, I, th I don't know if they'll ever officially give up on that. Probably not. But they probably should. Skull and Crossbones is still coming out, maybe. Skull and Bones. That Skull and that bones, whatever. See, if that it's <laughs> such a joke. I can't even get the name right. Okay, so they've made some mobile games and something called Space Junkies that I've literally never heard of and does not have a Wikipedia page. Uh, but other than that, their most recent game was Valiant Hearts: The Great War, hmm. which was from 2014. Oh yeah, that was um, uh, one of those Ubi art games. Looked yeah, really which it was cool looking. Yeah. I always wanted to play it, but I never got around to it, even though I own it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's nice to see Montpellier 
uh, come back with a nice uh, console uh, platformer. It's good to see that come back. And apparently be brilliant on every platform, which is nice. Uh, yeah, well, I'm honestly wondering if like the Switch version was the lead platform. It wouldn't surprise me if they like started with Switch because they knew it would be easy to easier to scale up than scale down. Yeah, it would make sense. It just runs yeah, so well so... on the Switch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it feels like, like 60 the... frames per second without a hitch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um... Hey, Joe. Hello. Hello. I, I made it. Welcome. Well, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it, and then things just lined up well. Hooray! Hooray! Yeah. Here I am, rocky like a hurricane. Oh, you, you've only been going uh, for seven minutes. Okay, yes. I didn't miss anything yet. No, no we just got started. I'm just talking about Prince of Persia. Oh, is this the full game? Yes. Yeah, I, I was. I didn't do the demo yet, but this looks cool. Yeah, this That's looks real good. cool. What I, what I uh, like about this a lot is... Um, a lot of these more combat-heavy Metroidvanias that are like melee combat-based, I feel like are kind of you know, slow and clunky a lot of times. Like trying to be Dark Souls in 2D, whereas this is just like, um, yeah, going aggressive is how you, is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, concept because like, there's a lot of you know modern. Uh, modern game style in this, but you can see how, like, it's also just building off of what Prince of Persia was from the beginning. Yes, definitely. But it's also wild that you're not actually playing the Prince of Persia. It feels strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part's a little weird. Here, let's make it less weird. <laughs> Forget where did I go to change it. Hold, here it is. Skins. There you go. There you go. Now I'm the Prince of Persia. Wait, waiting for the, waiting for Twitch to catch up. <laughs> Pre-order bonus. <laughs> of course. The wild they went with the warrior within skin. Yeah, that was. Uh... That was pretty confusing. I guess that's because it's the most distinctive outfit from the Sands of Time trilogy. Okay. Also, if you've never... Uh, one of the things that's always been wild to me, they made two different Forgotten Sands games. Yeah, and I've never played either of them. I need to do that sometime. The, the 360 one is pretty good. The Wii one's actually probably better. <laughs> that's what I've heard. Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's a hidden gem of a game. But I, I think the reason I never played it was it, because it came out. Resentment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it came out after Prince of Persia 06. Oh wait, but yeah. Oh, wait, whatever. And what it's is, what it's, is, it's Sonic right. 06. That's why I have 06. Yeah, uh, thankfully Prince of Persia 08 was much better than that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Prince of Persia 8, like, I'll always mourn that they, cow they were cowards and let that die. Yeah. Uh, that game but... was awesome, and the story was actually interesting. Yeah, and I really wanted to see more of that Prince and Elika. Yeah. And it had a, but... had a nice epilogue that kind of set up further things, like the epilogue DLC. Yeah. And then we get nothing. 
Yeah, we, we will never see a conclusion to that plot, which is sad. Oh, you fell. You ever play the really weird Prince of Persia games that came out as, like, DS games? I played the one... Not just the awful one that you sent me. Yes, I played <laughs> the one that's, like, a sequel to 08, kind of. Yeah, that... Yeah, I played that it, one. I played a little bit of it. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Uh, there's one that's like a strategy game for some reason. I have played that. That is, I think that is the first DS game I like received as a gift. I got it for Christmas. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like I've never heard of anyone actually playing Battles of Prince of Persia. I've played it a ton, and it is actually pretty good. <laughs> And it is also the only thing that seems to actually attempt to tell the story of what happens between uh, Sands of Time and Warrior Within, because like both Forgotten Sands games technically take place between them, but neither actually addresses what's going on. Yes. Good morning, Fireman. But I believe. Good morning, Fireman. But yeah, I believe that like Battles of Prince of Persia is like, oh, here's the Dahaka, that thing that's chasing him, and Warrior Within. <laughs> This is going to end with me replaying the Sands Time trilogy, isn't it? It's got its moments. Remember that Sands of Time remake? Wonder what happened to that. So, but yeah, I was going to say, speaking of Ubisoft games that are taking forever and a day, uh, the uh, a Skull and Bones, if it is not... Uh, it, it, if it's not finished and in manufacturing, then there is a delay they've still not announced because it's supposed to be out in the middle of February. <laughs> and generally for manufacturing lead times, it needs to be done at least a month before that. Oh my god. So it so might yeah. actually come out this time. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2, which we did get an Oh, that game's just never going to come out. A game no, okay. like this? Okay. Like that, one, that game probably is never coming out. Two, uh, the er, everything that they have said about it makes it seem like we are better off for that fact. <laughs> I'm also yeah. pretty sure it destroyed the brain of... Um... Michel Ansel? Yes. Yeah. I don't think we have heard essentially anything about it since... Uh... Like 2021. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's... Oh yeah, and also tragically, who the creative director assigned to it died last year. Oh jeez. Uh, at at the extremely concerningly young age of 40. Ooh. Uh. So yeah, the I like between. All this like crowdsourcing shit, and the fact that it was supposed to be a prequel when the first game ended on a cliffhanger, and the everything else about it that doesn't make any sense. I I don't think I I think that hopefully it doesn't come out, and because I think that if it does, it will be just deeply deeply disappointing to basically <laughs> anyone who would have wanted something called Beyond Good and Evil Two. I didn't play the first one, but I've read some Nietzsche and comprehended none of it. But that's how I, that's how I know about it. 
That's where the phrase I, the phrase has meaning to me for from literary sources. Yeah. <laughs> I play I was one of the seven people who was looking forward to it before it came out when they first announced it as just Project BG and E. Before they redesigned Jade. Uh she had a different look before the final game came out that was uh, that got the the redesign got some criticism that I think it's been lost to time because that was literally 21 years ago. <laughs> um, like criticisms for that are now old enough to drink. Uh, but uh, I, I was looking forward to it, and then I played it, and I was like, "This is kind of bad Zelda." Yeah, that was my and... experience as well. <laughs> I don't I don't hate it, but I don't understand the adoration that is that it has because i think that it's mostly just like a 7 out of 10 zelda <laughs> it's it's rough um okay apparently I, I was looking okay oh, metroidvania and souls like like they respawn at check when you use checkpoints um i wouldn't call it souls like no okay I mean, I but you use a checkpoint and then they all respond. No, I died, actually. Oh, <laughs> and they respond. Okay, do you have yeah. to recover your stuff? No. Okay, all right then. Continue. The uh. I know. I call it more like melee Metroid. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so, again, uh, so sometimes wanting is better than having, especially when it's a project as cursed-looking as speech you need to. Uh, is it making you parry stuff? Uh, I've seen maybe one required parry in a boss fight, and it was telegraphed, telegraphed as fuck. Okay. Oh, died again. <laughs> Game over. You tried. Um, but yeah, I just decided to look it up, and they gave some kind of status update on the Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake in November. Okay. It's, in the, it's with another developer now, right? Yeah, it's it's been taken into Ubisoft Montreal. Oh, that's right. Past an important internal milestone, and development is progressing. But yeah, we we are never going to see the the results of the work that was put in on that original remake. I would suspect that by this point, this this new remake is essentially just an unrelated game. <laughs> That's about right. Because uh, that was because that was supposed to when they announced that in like September of 2020, it was supposed to be out in like early 2021. Yeah, I remember so, yeah, that they had, is like, just pre-order pages up and everything. They were like ready. For I had pre-order pages. Out. It was announced for January 2021. It'll be out. You'll love it. It'll be done. Uh, and then people said, "This looks like we we don't like how this looks." And they said, "Okay, we we heard you." And then they went back and had a more full remake of Sands of Time put into production. Uh, I would imagine. Montreal is getting a lot more time and money than the uh, original developers. So, I, I just want to bring that up specifically as like a, I don't want to knock the original developers. I'm sure that they did the best they could with yeah. a what was almost assuredly a much smaller uh, set of resources. Uh, but yeah, uh, 
So, yeah, so we all just playing that and also stayed up too late playing Destiny. Uh, anything else? Uh, so many nights, doesn't it? Uh, uh, nights into dreams. <laughs> been teaching my son to play Tears of the Kingdom, that's been fun. That's cute. He was like, Dad, I'm trying to get this temple in the snow, because he's still in the tutorial area, and I'm like, Son, let me tell you about cooking. Let's go find some hot peppers. <laughs> Just like real life. Yes. You will never teach your son to actually cook, but Tears of the Kingdom, you'll yes, get there. <laughs> you'll get there. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, this Griffin thing is fucking you up. Okay. <laughs> No, I did not get down to the easier difficulty. Oh, one other thing to note here <laughs> is uh, there are a lot of difficulty uh, toggles here. It's not just like, here's easy, here's normal, here's hard. You can pick the process yeah. or you can adjust enemy damage, environmental damage, enemy health. Wow. Parry difficulty, dodge window, Athra depletion rate. That's like what you used... Your magic, got it. Yeah, magic. <laughs> uh, but it the bar depletes when you take damage. Um, mm -hmm. How much you gain, a uh, loss rate from damage. This is um, uh, more of this. This is good difficulty. Please. Yes, more of this, please. I've, I've heard that there's also just general accessibility options that are pretty good as well. Yes. Um, oh, God, I didn't change any difficulty settings. Uh, um, let me see if I can find those. Yeah, so... There, there uh, are a ton of options. And honestly, Ubisoft's been pretty great about putting in lots of accessibility options in their games. It's good that it's that that's becoming more standard. Yes. Oh, oh platforming assist. Uh, big... Phrase. Aim assist strength. Not much appreciation every time it comes up. Damn. You got, a lot of, you got a lot of options. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, so if you're watching me die a bunch here trying to fight a challenging enemy and you're worried that this game is too hard for you, um, you can make it not this hard. You, you can you can customize it customize it to give exactly as much of a uh, challenge as you need it. Uh, Fireman um, brings up Ubisoft. Get ready to get used to not owning your games. I mean... God. I want to see the context taken, of that. Quote. Exactly. Take you gotta. So so, you gotta read the context. You gotta read the entire statement. Yeah, That's I'm curious about that statement because he was talking about their their subscription service, and there's two ways that I can reasonably take that statement. There's one that's like, uh, that is how people seem to have taken it, which is like him saying, "Get used to it," and there's another that I think. It's quite plausible, but I haven't checked the full context of the statement. But basically, him saying that in order for subscriptions to take off, people will need to not need to be more comfortable with not. Subscription markets. Oh, you cut out there for Can a you second. Can you hear me? Yeah, uh, you, you cut, cut out, out for a second. Okay. Yeah. So, like I was saying, there there were there were two ways I could see taking that statement ripped from context as it was. Uh, one of them was that uh, 
that, you know, just get used to not owning your games, blah, 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 blah. That's how people seem to have taken it. But I could also have seen it. I have not fully read the full interview where that came from. But to me, it could also read as just a uh, an analysis of the business. Basically, that for subscription, since this was brought up in the context of Ubisoft's subscription service, that for subscription services to take off, players need to be less attached to owning games. And so he's that just seems like question and not being a jerk. Right. As far as I know, like I said, I don't know that it was brought up in context. I do not know the full context myself. I'm just saying I could see a context where okay. it is just a perfectly normal thing to say. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm going to I'm going to look it up now. Just so I'm not talking out of my ass. Yeah. I mean, but just from what I read of it, yeah, he wasn't saying you need to get used to it he was just making an observation and he made references to you know dvds and music and just saying that you know so it wasn't so much you need to get used to it it was people are going to that, probably get used to it yeah yeah so what what okay so i've pulled out the quote and it was okay. for it was in the context of ubisoft plus I don't have a crystal ball, but when you look at the different subscription services that are out there, we've had a rapid expansion over the last couple of years, but it's still relatively small compared to other models. Uh, we're saving, we're seeing expansion on consoles as the likes of PlayStation and Xbox bring new people in. On PC, from an Ubisoft standpoint, it's already been great, but we're looking to reach out more on PC, so we see opportunities there. One of the things we saw is that gamers are used to, a little bit like DVD, having and owning their games. That's the consumer shift that needs to happen. They got comfortable owning their, not owning their CD or DVD collections. That's a transformation that's been a bit slower to happen in games. As gamers grow more comfortable in that aspect, you don't lose your progress. If you resume your game at another time, your progress file is still there. That's not been deleted. You don't lose what you've been built in the game or your engagement with the game. So it's about feeling comfortable with not owning your game. So yeah, basically he's just saying that in order for subscription services to grow, that people need to feel comfortable with them. That's basically what he's saying. Okay. Uh, I still have two boxes of DVDs. <laughs> yeah, I still have two boxes of DVDs. I definitely understand the gamer's perspective with that. But as people embrace that model, they will see that these games will exist, the service will continue, and you'll be able to access them when you feel like that's reassuring. So he's basically like, People ripped out of what was mostly bland marketing speak about, like, we're going to continue to support the service. You can trust us to let you continue to access the games. And took it as, like, and ripped it out of context and treated it as, like, an assertion that, uh, like, we're going to do this, get used to it. And it, it really feels like a kind of an unfair reading. Uh, uh <laughs> Like I'm not, I'm not a fan. Uh, like I, I don't really like subscription services. I, I am one of those people that likes to own my games. Yeah. But I, I think he mostly gave a fairly clear-eyed, uh, like a fairly clear-eyed statement about like this is what needs to happen for subscriptions to take off once we build the trust to get people to trust us that they can continue to play the games. They'll they will probably get used to it the same way they did with CDs and DVDs. Yeah. And it should be noted that uh, DVDs still exist. Maybe you can't find, maybe yeah. you have to buy them online instead of your Target, but they're still there. You can buy a freaking yeah. record of music now. Like I feel like the model yeah, is backwards with music formats, didn't we? Yeah, this is <laughs> weird. 
There's, yeah. there's a lot of strange reasons for that. But yeah, I, I think that in general, there will always be some degree of boutique market that services the people that want to own and collect things. But I do think that there's also something to be pointed out that a lot of people don't actually care about owning more than a select few things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, the, I, I can't fully comprehend that, but there is certainly like people will talk about like oh my favorite movie is being removed from the streaming service and it's like yeah if it was your favorite movie you probably you probably did buy it like there's tons of stuff that you may have wanted to watch again but probably didn't want to buy that gets removed all the time mm -hmm. uh and i think that that's i i, I think the the there, there's something to be said for someone just being like, yeah, people, like, as long as we make it so that the service is viable, people will, and, and consistent, people will eventually get used to it. Like, you've not heard the average person pining for physical music releases, because if they did, if the average person wanted them, they would want them in formats that are more convenient than record. Yes. <laughs> And that's rough, but it, it is what it is. Um, Lost the ability to buy albums on iTunes, you know, but it's just cheaper to yeah. get the subscription, you know. You can still buy yeah. albums on iTunes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. You oh, never okay. lost that ability. Oh, you okay. haven't I lost the said, ability. I thought even. you said you lost yeah. the ability. Okay, my bad. No. I, I, but I, but Apple mm -hmm. Music is, you know, $12 a month instead of $10 per album, you know. So... But but then you know what though there's if I really love an album, I'll get it on vinyl or I'll you get it the on album. CD. <laughs> um, that's an un unpopular opinion. I thought that Tool's latest album was quite good, um, Fear Inoculum, and I got the limited edition. It's a book with some really nice uh, artwork. I think some of it's from Alex Gray, and it's like yeah, like I'll pay. Yeah, I paid twenty five or thirty bucks for that, and it's like worth it. Yeah. Hey, Gadget. Hello. So, uh, sidebar for two things. Number one, uh, this I forgot to mention this Prince of Persia game has a really cool feature where, at any time, <laughs> you can. Uh, well, I guess you actually have an item to use it, but you can basically take a screenshot and it'll mark it on the map, so you can hover around the map and like get a little picture. So if you see like, <laughs> hey, this is something I'll probably be able to unlock later, you can, you can take a picture of it and uh, find it on your map later if you're looking for things. Oh, I can unlock these now. You can find them all pretty easily. Just neat. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, Firemaner brings up, uh, after the closure of Right Stuff, I'm not so confident about the widespread ability of physical releases anymore. Isn't, didn't they get bought out? It got folded into, like, Sony bought it and folded it into Crunchyroll to be essentially Crunchyroll's distribution, and then, like, did some weird shit to, like, the, the new distribution is just, they, they don't distribute as much as Right Stuff ever did, and that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, Hopefully nice. that changes over time. Uh, I honestly put that one more on Sony trying desperately to monopolize the North American anime market. Mm. Because, God, they've bought just everything and no one gives a shit because it's fucking anime. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's one of those things like, 
you know, monopoly monopoly and vertical integration are hell. And that that is always the scary thing about uh, subscription services is that they almost always represent a high degree of vertical integration. Uh, which is why uh, the <laughs> it's just why it's always wild to think about like the period where everything was going direct to streaming at the same time as uh, theaters, which ultimately proved to not makes sense financially and is why it's going away but during that period it was this was the companies that make the streaming content also being its only avenue for distribution which is uh terrifying mm. if you think about it for any reasonable length of time uh because that is just they just recreated the studio system uh it just mm. turned out to not be profitable in this context um got so anyway, much hello. so much hello I, I said hello earlier i'm not sure if you caught me no because i uh, think my i think my speakers are still turned off when that happened probably ah gotcha it took me a moment to realize i had but, needed yeah. everything I gotcha. <laughs> but yeah uh just to finish out this thought before we let you mention what you've been up to uh it's it's one of those uh things that uh, it's like high levels of vertical integration are always terrifying, but I do think that like to to close out, like dude absolutely had a point. Uh, by virtue of the fact that the only thing like guaranteeing that you'll still be able to access your Steam games if Valve somehow were to be destroyed in some fashion is Valve saying, well, if that happened, we would do everything in our power to make it so that you could still play them and that's not actually much of a guarantee <laughs> no it's just that people people choose to trust that that will not occur <laughs> yeah um, fire miner has a good question on this point he says uh, remember yeah. the, the discussion you've uh, a few weeks ago we've had a few weeks before ago about people only getting poorer uh just how much of it's got to do with subscription versus owning and purchasing out of debt versus paying up front uh i mean like it incentivizes subscriptions by virtue of the fact that like paying a little for a lot of things even if you won't be able to have them forever is mm -hmm. just kind of what you need when you don't have a lot of cash to spend on entertainment uh yeah, and Firemind says in response to the Steam thing, just use Gogman, and it's like, yeah, but a lot of a lot of people don't, and also a lot of games come out on Steam that don't come out on Gog. Yeah, but Gog's not a guarantee either, though. If if they go down say, and, yeah. and you didn't have that backed up on your our hard drive somewhere, well, then it's you, gone. Man. It is at the very <laughs> least. It is closer to a guarantee because you can have an. You can have a local co copy that will continue to work without ever authenticating to a server. Okay, gotcha. But uh, and yes, if you fail to back that up on your own, that's it's on you, man. But I mean, it's the same thing. It's like if your fucking apartment floods, your physical media goes away too. Yeah. Oh, uh, I still have all my CDs, and I have all of the. Yeah. CDs ripped to the hard drive, so I have, and then I have another external hard drive with my whole music collection. So I've got 
like triple back up there. The the old uh, the old uh, computer adage: if you don't have something backed up in three places, you don't actually have it. Also, <laughs> Fireminers called me old for using Apple Music. He he called me old too, and oh, it's it. fine. Yeah, I'm I'm it's 38. Fair. I guess I'm old. <laughs> and I'm old enough. My brain's going back to this parody of yesterday for, that I heard back in the '90s. It was very apt. Right <laughs> oh, it's nice it's all about how. Um, about a guy regretting never actually backing up his data. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, briefly uh, cut in to just uh, bring up uh, if you've wanted to bring up anything you've been playing, Gaijin. Well, I mean, I just put up a deep look for the one thing I couldn't talk about earlier because of embargo <laughs> dates. So as it turns out, last week I probably could have. I just mixed up what the date was. Oh, well. Whoops. But yeah, go um, look at the. Tell them what it is so that they can go look it up. <laughs> it's called Sovereign Syndicate, and hmm. it's a gas lamp fantasy, more adventure, more point and click adventure game style. Hmm. But it does have um, like um, opposed difficulty checks. I guess hmm. is the best way to describe them. Mm-hmm. Using a ra- with using uh, tarot cards as a random generator. Mm-hmm. For randomizing. So, yeah. So it's it's definitely on the fringe of the standard role playing gestalt, but it's an interesting game. Mm-hmm. And hey, you can yeah. read a more in depth look on rpgamer.com. <laughs> yep. And then other than that, I was really intent on playing something on my Vita this month. <laughs> Um, just, wow. you know, to make sure that it stays out of mothballs and doesn't forget that it has a chargeable battery again. Uh, again. Yeah. Again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, j- just because I managed to wake it up out of hibernation, near-permanent hibernation twice now does not mean... Every, every time it might turn from Rip Van Winkle into a corpse. <laughs> yep. So I was... So I, um... For random reasons that mostly have to do with I needed to round up to the nearest thousand to get an extra point on my card at the game store, I have a very cheap Vita copy of Atelier Phyllis. Man. Wow. Um, Well, Phyllis was the one that had lag (laughs) issues and some other problems on PlayStation 4. Oh, is that the uh, second Mysterious Series game? Yep, the second Mysterious Series game. Yeah, it was Furious. If I ever actually play this, it's going to be Switch. Eventually, I will get... the. Eventually, I'll get Phyllis and the two sisters on Switch and just play those. Um, I think I actually got a code for that at some point, and it was just so bad. Yeah. That is, I think, well, maybe the, the least fondly looked upon quote unquote modern Adelier game. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I didn't even really get into the bulk of the story because it was just laggy as all heck. Um, so I switched over to the other unplayed Vita game I had on the shelf, which happened to be Undertale. Oh, nice. That's a good game. Yeah. Which, I mean, I have absorbed an incredible amount of information about this game without ever actually playing it. So this is an interesting experience. It was very, there was a period on the internet where it was very hard to not absorb information about it. (laughs) Yeah, really. I was uh, I was one of the lucky few that played it the first weekend it was out, so I just experienced it all new. <laughs> Yay! 
yeah. I hope you can manage to enjoy it anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in, I'm enjoying it. I'm just I already know what half. Of, I vaguely understand what's actually going on. So. <laughs> Have you murdered any monsters? Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> Horrendous. Wow. Some of them really deserved it. Rude. You're a monster. Mm. My gumdrop buttons. <laughs> I really think of that game whenever I think of one of the. Whenever I think of that game, whenever I think of like one of the most funny ways that you could quote unquote spare an enemy, was, uh, fucking the uh the monster Jerry that just shows up, and none of the other Let's monsters see. like him. Uh -huh. And you just have the uh, like the the way to spare him is to just ditch him, like you and the other monsters go away so that you don't have to deal with Jerry. I don't know, I like the the random encounter where all you have to do is just keep flexing at each other, and after three times he literally flexes himself out of the out of the battle. Yeah, uh, the the dog uh, that like head just extends. Up, up and all the way up and all the way down again, yes. Truly beautiful. <laughs> uh... I really want to know if we watched the new Indiana Jones trailer. I did. And it I looks, did. Looks interesting. I'm into it. Yeah. I, I like. Games. I like machine games. Yeah. They they're they're working the Wolfenstein series was great. Uh. And I'm glad to see that they're continuing. Like, they're still working in EdTech, still in first person, at least partially. The shot they showed of just like first person whipping a man, uh, whipping a Nazi to pull him toward you and then punch him in the face is like, you know what? I'm in. I'm into this. I will yeah. play this Indiana Jones game. <laughs> I, will play uh, I believe it's Nazi, Nazi punching simulator. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Indiana Jones. It has a name now. It's Indiana Jones in the Great Circle. Uh, and it looks fun. Like, it looks like a good time. And that comes out this year. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That, and they showed Avowed. Which was... Uh, Obsidian's sort of... I guess... I, I'm still not sure if it's fair to say, like, they're sort of Elder Scrolls you take. I don't know how open it's supposed to be, but it is their their big action RPG that they're making that takes place in the Pillars of Eternity universe. So right. It's nice to see that that's coming out this year in fall. Uh, Hellblade 2, I know a lot of people really liked one. I did not ever get around to it, even though I heard it was good. But that's that's coming out in like May. Like It, it seems like there's a good set of games coming out for Xbox this year. And they also apparently showed Trials of Mana. Or Vision of Mana, you Vision mean? Of Mana. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm <sighs> fighting a boss. My brain's... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they showed that. That's apparently due out this year as well. And that's, yeah, coming out for Xbox. It's, it's good for them to show things that are not things that you normally associate with Microsoft's brand because they, they really need to show that they can... that you can get things on the Xbox that aren't like shooters and racing games mm. and uh but yeah uh you can actually get a neptunia game on 
um, Xbox. You can somehow. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 excited for Indiana Jones. That looks that looks good. And uh, a lot, you know, I I'm willing to trust machine games a lot more than I might some other developers. Yeah. So. Can you read the new name Fireminer suggestion for Now Machine Game should be rena renamed to this Machine Kills Nazis. <laughs> it's, I mean, they have a they have a consistent ethos at this point. Yeah. I'm into it. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, big fan of big fan of their work. Uh, and just you know, glad glad to see them getting to keep on keeping on. And uh, doing uh, seemingly doing what they do best. Uh, uh, anyone who slept on Wolfenstein: The New Order, uh, Wolfenstein: The Old Blood, New Colossus, uh, Young Blood, all those are all those are great. All of those are worth your time. Yeah. Um. So, hundred percent, they uh, they are worth. Uh, like they 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 have earned they have earned trust. Um, yeah, very excited for that. Um, and uh, I, I saw a great tweet, tweet from, I think it was Jason Schreier, who was saying, like, uh, essentially, I hope this lives up to Indiana Jones and the fate of, fate of Atlantis. And I was trying to think of, like, were there other good Indiana Jones games? And it's like, oh, yeah, that one, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Mm. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it's the best one Xbox since that. And PS2 was okay. Emperor's Tomb? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine but it's not Tomb a great Raider. game. It's a fine Tomb Raider knockoff, which is hilarious. Given that Tomb Raider. I, I remember <laughs> there's a there there was a very funny uh, revelation from one of the guys who worked on uh, Lego Indiana Jones. Uh, because so the, the the one of the head former heads of Tra Traveler's Tales, John Burton, has a YouTube uh, page that. Used to be free, relatively frequently updated. I don't think it gets updated that often anymore. But he has some interesting insights into some of the work he did on a lot of different games. And he talked a bit about uh, Lego Indiana Jones. And late in that game's development, they they put out some feelers independent of LucasArts about like, can we get can we get like a crossover and put like a Lego Laura Croft in this? And uh, Le Lego was into this. But, uh, you know, and it was like, oh, that'd be cute. You could have Indiana Jones cross over with Tomb Raider, this thing that was obviously inspired by Indiana Jones. And, like, when they ran it up the chain to LucasArts, apparently LucasArts was pissed. <laughs> like, there was an internal feeling at LucasArts that they had been, like, upstaged in the game market that, like, the... the uh, Part of the market that Tomb Raider occupied should have been occupied by Indiana Jones products, and they were just absolutely unwilling to consider the idea of having any sort of official crossover between the two. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, extremely silly, yeah. like profoundly silly, because being real, I'm games that played equivalent to Tomb Raider released in, in place of Tomb Raider with Indiana Jones would not have been the phenomenon that Tomb Raider was. <laughs> like, a, a lot of that ends up being the marketing around Lara Croft. There's no way to recreate that without her. Uh, but yeah, 
just just an extremely funny story. Uh, I believe the YouTube channel that, that would be on would be Game Hut. Go look that up if you're curious. Uh, it should be in a video about Lego Indiana Jones. It's pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a big digression. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think that the the Xbox showcase seemed seemed pretty good. Uh, I was sad that I was very busy today at work and thus could not watch it and then was immediately again. He cut out again. What? He cut out. Looked exciting. <laughs> That's all I want. What looked exciting? You cut out uh... for a second. Uh, the, just everything at the, the Xbox uh, developer showcase. Oh, yeah. Looks like it's looks like it's going like to be a year for them. Yeah, this, this should be their year. There's still some stuff that they announced long ago that I'm unconvinced uh, may ever see the light of day. But as long as there's enough to make it interesting, that's all that matters. Mm. Hey, remember when they announced a new Perfect Dark? Yes. <laughs> uh... That's not going to actually happen, is it? What's wrong? Seems like it's been tremendous tumult. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of issues seemingly running around it, which is a shame because it's apparently like a bunch of ex-Crystal Dynamics people working on it, so hopefully it does someday come out. But it's one of those... Uh, sure hope so. Yeah, what was the last word we heard on that? Okay, the last thing that we apparently heard about it, uh, they'd restarted development in 2022, and we're working directly with Crystal Dynamics in Unreal Engine 5. <laughs> So yeah, we'll, we'll see if that ends up happening. I'd like to see it, because I think that a Perfect Dark game made by Crystal Dynamics could be really good. Mm. Mm. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we know nothing else. <laughs> Who can say? A price no man can say. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um... So I want to briefly hit, because we have a question in comment section from a friend of the show and uh, RP Gamer staffer, Strawberry Eggs, that I feel mm -hmm. should be of relevance to at least three quarters of us here. Uh, okay. Since I just finished Legend of Mana HD Remaster, I'm curious as to your opinions on the game. Have you played it? Did you enjoy it? Have you had a chance to play the HD Remaster? Mm. I enjoy this question. Uh, uh, I've... Yeah, I've, I've played a fair bit of it. I've never finished it because it's a long game and also not one with like a very strong through line. But I love it. It's, and I think that those two do not contradict each other. <laughs> it's a game What's that? Where... It's, it's kind of got three different through lines is the thing. It's yeah. got multiple yeah. plots going on. It's hard to keep track at first. Honestly, I feel like yeah. it's, it, it's one of those things you don't need to finish to fully enjoy. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I think you can actually I, I unlock do want the final boss it. after one major plot line. So oh, you don't actually have to finish yeah. everything. Yeah, I do want to like actually properly finish it, but it is one of those things that I've always like enjoyed what I've played and admired like the craft behind it and the weird vibe that it gives off. And I think that's enough. <laughs> I just remember back in college when we were playing the original, um, I my roommate and at least one of my other friends was were taking the Zen class that semester. <laughs> and they they just found so many random items in or random bits of conversation in this game to be so hilarious. Just like just imagining them as Zen koans instead of regular conversation. Yeah, they got that vibe too. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely something else. And if you if you can't get your head in the right space, then it's probably going to be very infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those games you have to take uh, take it as it is. I always recommend. I, I know people's compulsion to. I want to take a guide and find everything in this game. I think it's better to just play it as it is and explore it at your own pace instead of trying to find absolutely everything. Like like many things that uh, Kawazu had a hand in. There's a lot that's meant to be. This is what you found, because this is your journey. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's how I've described it before. It's very much like, what if Mana was a saga game? Or vice versa. Yeah. And Kawazu sure was involved. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, granted, it also yeah. has like a minor random weird enemy from Saga Frontier as a religious figurehead in that game. <laughs> that owns. <So. laughs> God. Yeah, the Wonder Dog. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> yep. but yeah. But yeah. Uh, maybe you should see if I can fully do a full proper playthrough since Vision of Mana comes out this year. Same. Yeah. Which especially fitting because I'm pretty sure in Japan that's called Seiken Densetsu Vision of Mana. Yeah. I don't, I did not play a ton of the HGRU Master just because in the PlayStation days I played a ton of that game. So, it's also just like doesn't per se need any sort of remastering. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. It always looked gorgeous. Probably one of the best looking PlayStation One games. I'd say. Oh yeah. If we're, still talking, about, if we're still talking about Legend of Mana, it's probably most of the remastering is just to make sure that it doesn't look too bad on HD. So, since it was made for CRTs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it doesn't uh, need anything besides you know, that. You'll be able to see the pixels, but that's not a, that's not a crime. Yeah. We at this podcast, even if we haven't uh, all finished it, come down firmly on the pro-Legend of Mana side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, think, uh, uh, I, I think it's underrated to just, you know... I, I think it's... Uh, per, per se, it's, uh, it's underrated to just have a game that gives off a very specific feeling that I don't think I don't think anything feels like Legend of Mana. Yeah. <laughs> Firemeyer says now the best looking uh, PS1 game is Mizorna Falls. I've played Mizorna Falls. It's the most technical it's one of the most technically ambitious. It's definitely not the best looking, but I love it. Also I said uh, one of the best looking, not necessarily the best. Sure enough. Thank you for the ten bits. Head Mizorna Falls 
Thank you. Had Mazarna Falls been localized, just how big of a deal would it be? It would be a cult classic at best. <laughs> um, I don't know what that is. Mazarna Falls? Yeah. Uh, you know Deadly Premonition? Yes. I want you to imagine that without gun shooting and on the PS1. Sounds awful. It's fascinating. It was made by Human Entertainment, who made a lot of very strange things. Uh, most famously, Fire Pro Wrestling and weird Japanese adventure games. Uh, Mizuna Falls is like a play at the Japanese adventure game genre from that period, uh, but with a proto-open world. Uh, you are investigating the murder, uh, or like disappearance, and I believe later death. Death. It's been a minute, and the game is really hard. Um, but the the disappearance of a fellow student at your school, I want to say, it's been a minute. Uh, but Mizarna Falls is, like I said, proto open world. You can you know run around the world. Everyone uh, like there's a bunch of locations you can drive to. Uh, blah 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 blah, and uh, there's people to find and. Uh, talk to, and everything is on a giant timer. You have a certain amount of time to uh, figure things out before information is just going to be locked off to you. It was definitely a game that, like like a lot of adventure games at the time, the idea was that you would fuck up, but you would learn things, and you would like be, okay, this is important information, I need to get it earlier so that I can use it earlier. And you sort of get an idea of people's schedules, and you eventually solve the mystery. But uh, it's it's a really neat game. It's really impressive. I think that had it come out at the time, the response would have largely been, what the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, if it had been released Wait, in the, English. The Wikipedia page specifically mentions like comparisons to Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both, both that and Deadly Premonition are both inspired by Twin Peaks quite overtly. Um... It's a it's a fascinating little object. Uh, I think it's really cool. Uh, like I said, I've never completed it. It's really hard because it's there's a lot of scheduling involved. But it's really cool. Like it's a really neat game. Uh, I don't think it sold super well in Japan. I want to say that the director ever made another game again. <laughs> Again, reading through the Wikipedia, apparently uh, the director moved to Canada and became a tour guide in the Rockies. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> like an extremely strange. Like, it also got a Famitsu okay. score of twenty-two out of forty. Oh, my God! Yeah, is, yeah, that's not good, <laughs> especially not in the late nineties when they were actually a little positive more. Um, yeah. Famitsu does not give low scores. It's, it's one of those things that, like, I think it would have been met in English with at least as much consternation as it was in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have seen I have seen Famitsu scores in the low twenties before, um, quite often for Kimco games. Yeah, that but, sounds about right. Yeah, but no, um, now I've told you about the I weirdest one I ever saw, though, right? Which one? The weirdest Famitsu score. So, I, I don't recall this. Uh, Untitled Goose Game. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Game. Yep. <laughs> where, where? True, true story here. 
Um, it got a total of 17. What? But, 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 here's the fun part, because normally the, normally the four scores are usually within one or two points of each other. So, like, if the median is six, then you might see a five, six, six, five, or something like that. Yep. Um, this game, this game got a two, three, four, and eight. The hell? That was about, that was the, that was a pretty good, um... Translation of at least one of the write-ups from the reviewers. What the hell? It's like um, they got the, they have a little text in the box next to the numbers, and the first one roughly translated was "What the hell is this game?" Um, the second one was roughly uh, "Who the hell thought this game was a good idea?" The third one was "Why the hell would anyone play this game?" And the last guy was like, "Hey, this game's hella fun." <laughs> Someone got <laughs> that. Rough paraphrasing here because obviously I don't remember the exact text. Yeah. But it was just it was the weirdest, the weirdest, um, just array of scores I have ever seen on a Famitsu review in my life, and it just stuck with me. It's like, <laughs> yeah. that, that did lead me to wonder. Like I, I'd been thinking about this the past week, but like if if you are aware of any resource that might know this, like what is the actual lowest score Famitsu has ever given out? I am not sure. Um, it would have to be four because that's the lowest possible. But I don't think I've. Yeah. I mean, I've only seen. I've never heard of anything in this single one digits. below twenty. Um, yeah, I looked. I was able to find no. a few that were like 16, 17. I've never seen anything even close to the single digits. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, yeah. Uh, Excuse me. Honestly, I think um, I think if the game was going to score that low, I think most game companies would lightly request that they just not print it. <laughs> you could probably uh, convince them that, not to. I will note that I have yet to find a Famitsu cross-review for Metal Mag Xeno Reborn. Huh. <laughs> that is I, a wild checked, place. Six, I checked, um, when it came out, I checked six weeks worth of Famitsus from that summer. And I never found a review for that game. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if someone was like, "Could you just not talk about it if that's what you're gonna say?" <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was my takeaway. Uh, okay, to to hit one more of these questions in the chat, Firewinner says, "How much of Shenmue's reputation came at the moment of its release, and how much came in the years since?" In other words, how much did people forget about it when GTA Three came out? When GTA 3 came out, and I remember this very clearly, no one gave a shit about Shen. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, like, there was, there was mild uh, keening over the fact that the Dreamcast version of Shenmue 2 was not coming out in English. Or, uh, excuse me, not coming out in America. It came out in English in Europe. Uh, even without a dub. But, uh, like, the... The, there was the occasional mild comparison to Shenmue, but the general consensus around Shenmue's world was that like no one at the time cared that much about what was in it. Like it was, it was just you know like okay, there's a bunch of stuff here, but there's not like it's like ten hours between fights, and a lot of this game is talking to people and asking them. Uh, where to find some sailors, and then they tell you, and 
you don't know where that is because you don't know your way around this area very well. And then if you take too long, a guy comes and kills you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like like Shenmue is definitely a game that took time to and, and divorce from the hype around it because like it was also. Before it came out, it was like the game Sega somehow spent $70 million on. Uh, and it was, you know, like, there, there was definitely hype around it as like, oh, it's from the guy who made Virtua Fighter, and that was really popular, at least in Japan. And it's uh, like really ambitious and really like detailed. But like, it definitely like... The average consumer just absolutely no entry, like as as far like because by the time it came out, like what was Shenmue's actual for English release date? Because like you also have to remember, Sega was officially like done with the like the Dreamcast was officially well, third party in like February of two thousand one. Uh. -huh. Like, just looking at the exact release date of Shenmue 1, uh, that was a... In Japan, it was December 1999. So it had time to be kind of a pillar of what the Dreamcast was. But in North America and Europe, it was November and December of 2000. The Dreamcast was kind of a dead letter already by that point. Uh... Like, November of 2000, I, I don't think I remember anyone talking about it at the time because the PS2 had just come out. People were talking about the PS2, even though there, were not, there weren't even any games. It didn't, like, there weren't even any good games. It didn't matter. It did not matter because, like, it was, it was the PlayStation 2. Like, that was, the, the hype around it was crushing and it ate like the it ate everything's lunch that was coming out at that time uh if it was not going to be compatible with the ps2 later <laughs> so like you get you get your last spurt of ps1 games and it's like oh i don't feel bad about buying these because i'll be able to play them on that ps2 i'll be able to get soon six months later still hard to get a ps2 didn't matter um but like yeah the the dreamcast's december of 2000 sales kind of would reflect the like it, it didn't. It wasn't the turnaround they needed, and you know, by February of two thousand one, they were they were done. It was over. Uh, so, you know, just, just as as much as uh, it's important in the history of open world games, like it it had very little cultural footprint in the US at the time. And like I can't speak for anywhere else, can't speak for Japan, can't speak for Europe, can't, but in the US, Shenmue was you know, it had its diehard fans certainly even at the time, but it was also like harder for diehard fans of things to spread the word, to evangelize about Shenmue at the time because it's like not as many people using the internet, certainly not as often. Not as much of their time is spent talking about random bullshit. <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, for most people, talking about Shenmue is pretty far down the list of random bullshit. <laughs> so, yeah, just, uh, it, like, Grand Theft Auto 3 came out, and suddenly then 
other games needed to be open world because it had produced an open world that was exciting from minute one rather than from hour five. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even saying that as like a criticism. I like the sedate and slow-paced nature of Shenmue to an extent, but certainly that kind of opening was not mass market at the time and still kind of isn't. <laughs> so, like, you know, you uh, you start uh, Shenmue and there's a there's a big uh, exciting fight. You see your father die. That's exciting, and then the gameplay is sort of walking around and talking to people to try to figure out where Landy is, and then you never actually find him. Ah, uh, oh, the and, you know, you just, and then you start Grand Theft Auto 3, and a bridge explodes, and you are more than likely driving badly enough that you're almost immediately chased by the police. Uh, so, you know, it's just a very different paradigm. Uh, like, it immediate like the the immediate spelling of uh, an urban environment definitely uh, like an exciting environment where you could do uh, exciting like if the game was boring you that was a problem of you weren't doing exciting things not that there weren't exciting things to do whereas with Shenmue if the game was boring you it's because you weren't excited by the story and that was not a problem that the game had a capacity that you the player had a capacity to fix via your interactions with the game yes my Shenmue experience was 90 minutes of talking to NPCs who just say random worthless stuff and then okay I'm done so <laughs> yeah uh, Fireminer asks is Liberty City even that exciting uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, he says, or is it because we now have San Andreas and Vice City to compare? At the time, especially, there there wasn't really anything else like it. Like, you know, you can bring up that Shenmue was also an open world, but it wasn't, it was simulating like a sort of small town sort of Japan. It's a very different vibe, whereas Liberty City was like a place where like, violence is constantly breaking out and you can just run up and steal things and beat people and do and create mayhem at any moment so like the fact that liberty city is like a broad pastiche of new york like comparatively as a map design it's much less interesting than uh vice city or san andreas but you know uh, given the time like liberty city was infinitely more exciting than what you were seeing in a lot of other games because it was like oh this is simulate like very crudely but it is simulating a place that uh like a world you can get used to like you can become familiar with in a way that you couldn't in strictly linear games that were the that were the uh general way that action games were done at the time like uh there, there was there was enough bustle to sell the illusion, and it was exciting just to have the illusion. But, let's see, but I mean, realistically, I don't really want to live in Miami, New York, or LA. <laughs> uh, like I, I've been to Miami; that city will be underwater in like ten years. Um, LA is a desolate uh, wasteland if you don't have a car, and. 
uh, New York terrifies me. Uh, <laughs> not for good reasons, just like I can't even imagine trying to uh, really take in that city. But it's also the one I've never been to either, so take that with, take eight, from that what you will. Eight million people in the city. It's frightening. <laughs> I love New York, but it's hard to get anywhere. It's kind of exhausting. Yeah. I like New York. It's the only one of the three I've been to, I think, but I'd love um, to visit New York. I'm just like I can't imagine I would never a... live there. If he means specifically New York City, no. I mean, but yeah. if I could live in a suburb right outside, maybe, but I mean, I live in Connecticut, which so I'm already, you know, You're two basically hours away. in a New York suburb. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, yeah. Resent that. <laughs> I don't resent uh... that. Quiet. Question of how far outside of New York City you have to be to actually be in a suburb? Um, I don't know. It takes a while to get to any That's how rich you are. Suburb. <laughs> well, the thing is, on the one hand, when you look at the map, like Long Island really should be part of Connecticut, but I'm glad it's not because Long Island is full of garbage people. Wow. <laughs> hey, I have I have a very good friend in Long Island. Staff but, member. Uh, we have some staff members in Long Island, actually. Probably at least a few. I want Long Island to sink into the ocean. That helped me. Just decided face. to quadruple down on that statement. But yeah, so. Brooklyn and Queens are on Long Island. Why don't you like Brooklyn or Queens? Oh. Okay, moving on. Um, Why do you hate the Mets? Oh, Yankees no. fan? Oh, maybe, maybe. Does anyone oh, like God. the Mets? <laughs> Yes! <laughs> I think one of them might be wheels. I've been to their stadium. The team was awful. The stadium was full. I've been to Shea... <laughs> I went to Shea Stadium once, and it was actually a good game. Yeah. The new stadium is I, I, quite wonderful. I, I do respect but, a fan base where the team can be awful and the stadium's still full. Yeah. Oh, here's a story for you. A, a friend called me up and said, Oh, do you want to go to a baseball game? So sure. He said, Yeah, in New York. And I'm thinking, Oh, great. Yeah. So I put on my Yankees jersey, and he's like, oh, it's a Mets game. And I think I still... I don't know if... I don't remember if I changed out of the shirt or not. That's the thing. I don't know if I actually wore it. I think I took it off before we got out of the car. To be fair, I'd much sooner go to a Mets game than a Yankees game. That's fair. Yankee Stadium was a corporate hell. I'm sure, I've been to Yankee Stadium several just... times, and I've been to Fenway Park, even though it's like the enemy's lair. <laughs> I love Fenway Park. Jesus. They need to build a new stadium. That thing is fucking ancient. Uh, where will I get my Franks now? Yeah, I, I've been to uh, both Yankee Stadiums. I did not care for either. Uh, Right. Uh, yeah. How do we get on a baseball uh, again? I don't know. It's probably uh, my fault. Yeah, it is my fault. It, I I'm, I'm just sitting back fault. here listening to you guys go on and on about places I am never going to bother tell going us, to. Tell us about <laughs> baseball in Japan. Mitsuri! Well, I mean, it, it's, it can be fun, um, I guess. The high school championships are the highlight of the summer. <laughs> um, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. They're like it's yeah, no, more popular than the World Series. 
<laughs> so it's like the equivalent of uh, college football here. Very similar, actually. Interesting. I feel like I feel like that always has something to do with the fact that like you might not have a pro level team that you can root for as your local team, but you sure as hell have at least one high school around you that you can root for as your local team. <laughs> oh no, I'm talking about the national, um, the national championship for high school. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. It has its own special name. It's called Koshien. Um, mm. It's a it is a ranked tournament. Um, mm. My school managed to get up to the quarterfinals last summer or two summers ago, and it was a really big deal. So, mm. yeah. So it, it's it is in fact comparable to the World Series. <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah. Um, let's see. The notification. Something happened. Yeah, you got you got more bits. Oh, more bits. Ten more bits. Uh, I think I think mostly to draw attention to a question, which is always fair. Yeah. Uh, is it just me, or when someone needs to make a reference or parody of Japanese baseball, they will inevitably reach to either the Giants or the Tigers? Those are definitely the ones I know of. Uh, is that uh, does that track to you, uh, Gaijin? One more time. Uh, he, was, he was asking, uh, is it just uh, me, or whenever someone needs to make a reference or parody of Japanese baseball, they will inevitably reach for either the Giants or the Tigers. At least at pro level. Generally, yes, um, since those are the two easiest ones to make fun of. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, there's a there's a weekly comic strip, I, I get out the newspaper, called Nekopicha, that mm -hmm. it's basically a parody of the Giants where they have a house cat employed as a pitcher. And he's really good <laughs> at it. Really good at it. Um, it's a really funny little cartoon, but in the officially the team that it's at the center of the of the comic strip series is called the Giants. Uh. <laughs> yep. And uh. every other team they play throughout the throughout this comic series is some other really dumb pun on one of the other Japanese baseball teams. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's good. Yeah. Also, I think I think a lot about the, the truly deranged uh, individuals that play American football in Japan. That does you've exist. Got rugby clubs and football clubs and things, yeah. Uh, football or football? Uh, yeah. Well, the Japanese word yes. is, for soccer is saka. So yes, football, football. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a there's a Japanese league known as the X League, <laughs> and it is uh, seemingly like half uh, like divisions that are technically or not divisions, but teams that are technically like based in. Uh, based on location and half that are just like, yep, these are these are backed by a very specific uh, company. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can have the the Panasonic Impulse uh, fight uh, the Fujitsu Frontiers. Yeah, the that's uh, <laughs> another thing. The the corporate sponsorships are very much more obvious. Yeah. In the naming of the teams. So yeah. Even even the main league team, so like um, the Hanshin yeah. Tigers, Hanshin Department Store. Yeah. Fascinating. 
um there was a uh, there's an american player who uh, yeah. transferred in from houston back in the 90s name was bass mm -hmm. i think he's actually he yeah. ended up he's currently in my state legislature in oklahoma huh. <laughs> um, oh. yeah but um so normally if you wrote it i mean he trained he uh he got hired by the Hanshin Tigers. Mm -hmm. And normally, if you write his name out in Katakana, it's Basu. Mm -hmm. But they added an extra long line in the middle but... for his official spelling. to so Because under normal normal Katakana spelling, his name was indistinguishable from Bus. U.S. <laughs> bus. Yes, actually. Um, and <laughs> of course. Hanshin, Hanshin's a department store, but it also has its own bus company in the Osaka area. Ah. <laughs> and so they were very concerned about the the propensity for the local newspapers to come up with really bad headlines like "Bus Explodes," <laughs> um, and um, have that reflect negatively on their actual bus service. Yeah. For, for we also benefit uh, one of one of the most fun uh, common Japanese tongue twisters is Basugasu Bakuhatsu, and that just means bus gas explosions. <laughs> yep. Wow. Cool. Uh, oh, yeah. This I, one time I was watching TV late at night and somehow caught like a Japanese wrestling program and. I don't know why I thought it was going to be less ridiculous than WWE, WWF, WCW, but it, it was just completely over the top, and I don't know, I kind of liked it. So. There's a lot of good Japanese wrestling for varying levels of ridiculousness. Yeah, the, whatever one I caught was just like, oh, this is absurd, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I can't I can't look away. If you want to yeah, see the most ridiculous... so exaggerated. <laughs> Yeah. If you if you want to see the most ridiculous professional wrestling ever conceived by humans, uh, go look up uh, Dramatic Dream Team. Okay. Which was a uh, pro wrestling a pro wrestling org that has uh, one of my favorite uh, championships. Uh, God, this was DDT, right? Let me double check. Yes, the uh, one of my favorite championship lines, the Iron Man Heavy Metalweight Championship. Nice. <laughs> uh, which is is there is the most absurd belt in the most absurd promotion. Uh, it has changed hands, just I believe thousands of times. Yes, fifteen hundred ninety three recognized title reigns. Uh, <laughs> what? Wow! Over has, how many decades? Uh, let's see. This was active. This was established in 2000. So uh, we are talking about 1,500 title reigns over the course of about 20 years. Um, wow! It has had. Uh, I, I will let Wikipedia describe this. 1,593 officially recognized uh, reigns between 397 different individual humans, seven teams, and 48 inanimate objects and animals. Okay. Uh, and objects. That's what I like. <laughs> okay. So, so notable champions as uh, listed by Wikipedia as of November 2022. We have Yachan, who was a monkey. We had Kokolo, which was a miniature dachshund. We had Bunny, which was a cat for some reason. 
Um, <laughs> because of course. There was a ladder that. match where the where the ladder pinned someone and won the title. <laughs> what? <laughs> the, the steel ladder. ladder yeah, yeah. The, the the ladder match. The, they were trying to get it. Uh, they were trying to use the ladder to get to the title, but the ladder fell on someone, and the ref counted the pin. So the ladder won the title, then successfully defended it by not being pinned during a time limit battle royal. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> additional notable what, what inanimate objects. Again? Uh, d- dramatic dream team. Dramatic dream team. <laughs> but uh, some some other notable inanimate object title holders: uh, Kitty Chan, which was a stuffed Hello Kitty doll. Uh, <laughs> he had a uh, a ringside mat, a pint of beer. Three different sticks of yakitori, two different steel chairs. The title belt eventually won itself by landing on someone competing for it and having that pin counted. Um, the belt was won by a different belt, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship belt. Belts can get belts. Love it. Uh, Yoshihiko, an inflatable sex doll. Which was beautiful because the wrestlers were wrestling in such a way as to make it look like they were getting absolutely bodied by the sex doll. Like, there is a point where one dude does a Canadian destroyer on himself, uh, but does it in such a way as to make it look like he just, like the doll did that to him. For those unaware, a Canadian <laughs> a Canadian destroyer is a front flip pile driver. <laughs> Um, a, a truly, a truly absurd, uh, uh, truly absurd. Oh God. Oh God. I forgot some of these. Uh, uh, Vince McMahon's Hollywood Walk of Fame star has also won this belt at some stage. <laughs> a TV Tokyo camera crane, a pork bun, a kotatsu table, a, a beer can separate from the pint of beer that also won it, a Christmas tree, <laughs> There was also uh, two different uh, invisible wrestlers who won it at some point, which didn't exist, just fake people. <laughs> as well as a handful of collective champions, three elementary school girls, uh, a, the entire audience of Beyond Wrestling's American Rana 2016. Uh, the, the Young Bucks have won... The, the Young Bucks have won it, as well as their autobiography, Killing the Business. The book itself also is one of the inanimate object champions. Um, and officially, if you were subscribed to Dramatic Dream Team's YouTube channel before they hit 100,000, the first 100,000 subscribers are collectively one of the official title holders of the Iron Man Heavy Metalweight Championship. At one point, that was con- they were considered the rightful champion. <laughs> God, I uh, fucking champion. love <laughs> So I wish that I would subscribe to their YouTube channel at that time because it would be on my resume. Former Iron Man heavy metalweight champion. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Dramatic Dream Team is beautiful. It's incredible. It's the stupidest thing you've ever seen, and I love it. Uh, I'm sorry I needed to make that a tangent. <laughs> 
It was worth it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I have a headache, and I wanted to get to bed soonish. So if we can, if I can pull up one question from the big questions doc, and then we can close out. If that's okay. Sure. Sure. Uh, let me just pull up the drive. Google Drive now telling me you often op open this around this time. <laughs> uh, open it again. <laughs> uh, look for something isolated. Which genres have died or become significantly less popular because the cost-to-profit ratio was too high? I recently heard that MechWarrior 5's developer had been hemorrhaging lots of money. Uh, it feels like after the flood of mech simulators in the mid-90s and early aughts, the cost of making these games became too much for most developers. I feel like this is a tragically common thing for anything you just don't see much of anymore. Yeah, but well... What pops in my head is just when Housemark had explicitly said, okay, we're not going to do any more of these retro-inspired shoot-em-ups, you know, and then, then they mm. put out Returnal after that. So what they did, shame. yeah, Stardust, Resogun, <laughs> and Nex Machina were all good. Nex Machina was inspired by, uh, what was it, Smash TV, and I think... The creator of Smash TV even may have helped with the development a bit. And then Resogun was an homage to Defender, you know? And yeah, so that's what I got. Just seems like a lot of uh, those old-style shoot-em-ups aren't as popular anymore. Although there is an R-Type Final 2 or Final 3 coming out. <laughs> mm, shmups are just uh, very much passion projects. Yes. Um... So. So, so, uh, I, I feel like, uh, any, anything that is, uh, it's hard to describe because we, we've run into two things, things that are, uh, too expensive to make at the scale that because like a lot of these if you just may decided to make them cheap you could probably still make them but publishers want big returns and a lot of them if you make them cheap they won't get big they they won't lose money but they won't get big returns so like i'm sure you could still make an rts that was at a price level where you could sell it and make money because there are hardcore RTS fans. Same with like space trading or anything like that. But you inevitably run into like the people that would f be able to fund even a small scale one of those want a big return rather than you'll make your money back. And so like a lot of these, uh, and, and then of course you get into anything that's like that. If you are building it at high spec, you've run into well, that's really expensive, and it's never going to make that back. And I think we've seen a lot of genres that make sense at lower budgets that don't make sense at budgets and instead have uh, died. Or at the very least, become very niche and dominated by passionate indie groups. Because um, like, you'll still see plenty of 
shoot 'em ups, but they are indie, and you know, yeah. half of them are Toho games, but uh, they they do they, still exist. They're the just fandom creating the fandom. Oh. Mm-hmm. But uh, they they're very uh, they they're dominated by the indie space. Um, trying to think of anything that specifically like just ceased to make sense because of the the space that it occupied um i i, I feel like uh my personal the, the one that personally makes me sad is that like you don't see outside of mario you don't see big budget 3d platformers anymore they mm. uh they're quite rare uh uh, like, what's the deal with the uh, ukulele? Is that going to get a third game or no? I hope so. Uh, I know that Play- Playtonic has actually spent a lot of time uh, facilitating other indie developers. Like they've done a ton of publishing in the indie space and have facilitated a lot of 3D platformers to come out. Okay. But you know, in the indie space, uh, look up something like Demon Turf. That's a pretty good game. Uh, mm. But. I'm remembering that name right. I need to double check. Pretty sure that I'm thinking of the right. But yeah, Demon Turf was. Yeah, this looks right. Demon yeah, Turf Neon Platformer, I believe. Mm. Okay. But but yeah, Platonic's publishing label, Platonic Friends, has actually done a lot to facilitate uh, neat little uh, games of that style and. Uh, I've generally been a, a big fan of what they've done as a publisher. Uh, <laughs> I still remember uh, at the at the height of every company being like, we're getting into NFTs. They were uh, partnered with a much older British publisher, uh, Team 17. And Team 17 got really in, uh, got started doing like NFT bullshit tweets and Platonic was like essentially essentially quite publicly if you don't cut this out we're cutting ties with you <laughs> awesome yeah it was, it was great I, I've I've got nothing but nice things to say about Platonic as yep. far as I've ever been able to find but uh, that second ukulele game is really really good yeah, I'd like the original, even if it's deeply flawed. I think that the second is, like, Impossible Lair is genuinely fantastic. Uh, but yeah, don't sleep on... Uh, both of those also routinely go down to, like, bargain basement prices. Like, very low risk. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. Fireman says, Team 17, um, they have nothing but worms. That statement works. Yeah, yeah, works. they've. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, long ago and far away, they they did uh, a lot of actual publishing and partnerships once upon a time. But yeah. Um. But yeah. So. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of genres that uh, we don't see a lot of AAA investment into. Um, simply because they, they no longer uh, are seen as enough guaranteed returns. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of them, I would think, could have uh, could could have a a, a bigger life. Uh, 
thinking about like we don't see a lot of uh true fps rpgs in the vein of something like deus ex even though you would think that that would be huge but it's uh you know it, it, those are difficult to build at a small scale and uh uh, that would be one that I would think of as like, oh, I'd like to see more of these, but I don't see anyone jumping to jumping at the chance. Like we've definitely got first-person RPGs in the style of something like, uh, you know, in, in the style of like Elder Scrolls and that sort of thing, but not uh, not not any not a, a consistent flow of things like uh, uh, things more in that day's sex mold, which I think feels like, like it should be a much larger market than it is, but. What you gonna do? Um, but yeah, uh, probably gonna close things off for tonight. Uh, wanted to quickly, uh, speaking of things that uh, prove, uh, uh, speaking of things that you're uh, that are never going to put much of a dent in your wallet, but which deserve your support. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> Sorry, frog in my throat. No problem. Okay, so anyway, the uh, the big author's birthday sale is over, but Princesses of the Pizza Parlor is still available for wonderfully low prices. Mm -hmm. um, so if you enjoy tabletop role-playing games, um, if you enjoy watching other people play them, or like reading about them, or just enjoying little fantasy stories. We have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by uh, Michael Yadimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, it's currently 12 episodes, three side stories, the paralogue, and I really need to get that last side story, or the fourth side story out sometime soon. Some soon. Mm -hmm. um, yep, so they are, I mean, they're all about two dollars or so each um two to three dollars depending um on the foibles of amazon at any given time except for the paralogue which happens to be like six seven hundred pages long so it's a bit more expensive um but yeah so uh, princesses of the pizza parlor for kindle and kindle unlimited thank you hmm. and uh joe yes hi i'm here okay you can check me out on twitch.tv and uh, YouTube, Discord, and Mastodon under Smokin' Joe Gamer. And uh, let's see. So lately I, I jumped back into some Resident Evil 2 remake, which I haven't played in a while. Um, but I made the mistake of trying to play through on hardcore. So oh, did pretty way. okay. And Good job. Yeah. I did pretty okay until I, like, I saved before the first boss, the, the first William encounter, and it it didn't go very well, so I created a separate save file. Then I got through the whole parking garage area and made a couple mistakes, and then didn't think to save when I got out of there and then died and lost some progress, and then was like, ah, screw this. So then I was playing as Tofu, who has only knives and couldn't beat the scenario 
and then played the other scenario where you're the guy stuck in the gas station convenience store and did pretty well there but didn't couldn't clear it though so yeah that's what i was streaming recently and i i think i'm done with that for now um but resident evil 2 remake is on playstation plus and game pass now and they retroactively added it to xbox play anywhere so if you did buy a digital copy on xbox you can also play it through the app on pc and your progress carries over and all your achievements and save files and everything and dlc which is nice so yeah that's something it's totally just an amazing game um while we were talking i was playing some more diablo 4 and it looks like i'm not gonna get to the uh seasonal content before the season ends which i guess is all post-game content which is silly but Oh well, I guess I'll be trying to make another character when season three starts, unless I can somehow clear it in the next week or so. Um, and I don't know how much streaming I'm going to be doing the next couple of days because I attempted to get a new computer monitor and got a really good deal on an open box model from Best Buy, and they did not include a power cable. Oh, oh no! No fun. So first I contact Best Buy Chat Support, who tells me, oh, it's open box. Yeah, no, that that, that model doesn't include a power cable. Call LG. Is it like Fine. a standard so I... power cable? I'm sorry. Just keep going. But yeah, it's, um, it's well, I, I know what I need now. It, apparently none of my other ones would fit the hole and didn't have the right mm. voltage anyways. But then I contact LG. Oh, and they're like, oh, no, that model absolutely does include a power cable. Um, did you buy it brand new or open box? I said, well, open box. Oh, well, if you bought it brand new, we could just send you a power cable, but sorry. So then the chat person gave me a part number. I looked it up on the LG website, and it was a power cable that costs uh, $93. Sorry, what? So I'm like, no, okay. But since she confirmed that that model was supposed to include one, I contacted Best Buy again and said, well, LG's telling me you should have included it. And it was open box, excellent condition, which states includes all accessories. And that person said, oh, yeah, no, you should have gotten one. Sorry, you didn't. Um, you know, you can return the item. I'm like, can't you just send me a power cable? Well, you could try calling the store that it shipped from in New Jersey. I'm like, okay, but then they were closed. So I got to call them tomorrow. And good news is I did do some research and learned all about voltages and... Uh, pin connector types. I'm a big and, electrical engineering nerd. Yeah, I learned all this stuff and found out that, yeah, there appears to be a $20 power cable I can get through Amazon. Um, but I'm not a Prime member, and I, gee, I don't want to order from Amazon anymore, but I was like, well, whatever. I ordered a couple of things to get the free shipping, and it'll arrive next week, but I'm still going to call that store in New Jersey and just say, hey, somebody was supposed to put a power cable in there, and they didn't. What can you do for me? You know, and the problem is if I return it, then they'll refund it, but then I'll have to pay an extra $75, you know, to get the non-open box version. You know what I mean? So they're, they're not going to let me exchange it for the same item. It's, oh, no, we'll, we'll refund you, but then you'll have to pay the difference on a new one. It's like, okay, so uh, just trying to get that sorted out. Um, so my brother was here helping me put it all together, and... Um, it wouldn't fit in the space where it needed to go. 
And that's so I wanted to get another 27 inch monitor. That was a big deal to make sure it would fit. And it has an adjustable height on the stand, but it wouldn't fit. So we had to just play around with stuff. We had to move one of the shelves on the desk up a notch, which meant that then other things had to be moved. The router had to be moved. The PlayStation had to be moved in. But um, it's a really nice looking monitor. I can't wait to actually turn it on. But I, I don't know how that's going to affect my... Streaming ability in the next couple of days, I might have to stream directly from console and just have no camera or, or microphone, or we'll see. So, yeah, that was my adventure today. And uh, other than that, still trying to get through Tunic again, but also just been watching some AGDQ videos. I saw a really cool uh, Taskbot playthrough of Super Metroid that I think is, is very entertaining. I think everyone should check that out. So. <coughs> recommend Mario 64 drum percent. <laughs> it's so, played on MIDI drums. Oh man, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I think I heard about that, yeah, so... Yeah, go look that one up. Just uh, watching that and I... Uh, oh, I watched the TED TV series and it's way better than the movies, but it's only seven episodes, unfortunately. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, that's that's other news. So there, can, there you go. Yeah, people can find you at twitch.tv slash smokingjoegamer. They can also find the your YouTube channel at the same well, also at Smoke and Joe Gamer. <laughs> so I think I may have two hundred and fifty YouTube videos now. Damn. Yeah. So and uh a handful of them actually have a substantial number of views and I think I picked up some new subscribers. Well, Twitch numbers have been stagnant, but, you know, if more people tune in and subscribe, then I'll feel more motivated to actually, you know, stream. Mm. So, let's uh, see what we can do there, huh? That'd be nice. It's open. Uh, yeah, so, give it a look. Um, otherwise, uh, you can catch uh, Q&A Quest. We record every Thursday at... Midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Thursday Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, we always enjoy receiving questions in the chat. Thanks to good friend Fireminer for bringing, uh, bringing those. We also appreciate uh, Strawberry Eggs putting uh, questions in the comments section in RP Gamer. Always happy to receive questions there. And you can also ask us questions via the podcast section of the Discord. That's been uh, a lively place of discussion the past week or so. Yes. Um, but yeah. Um, Talk, discussing about why Demon Souls sucks. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to... I kind of think we adequately discussed it on Discord, and we have discussed it several times before on Shenanigans and... Q&A quest, so, I mean, it's something I'm willing to discuss again, but we don't have to. It's just something I... I was just trying yeah. to work out some of my frustration with my most recent attempt to play Demon Souls Remake, and it became my third episode of Joey Hates Everything, in which I explain everything that's wrong with it, and I think I adequately demonstrate what's wrong with the game as well. But some people disagree, and they are entitled to their opinions. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, so, yeah, uh, li a lively place for discussion or asking questions. We're always happy with either. Uh, otherwise, you can uh, 
Uh, other, otherwise, you can also catch us at uh, Sunday nights, midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific, for shenanigans, where we play whatever we're up to at that stage. <laughs> it can be highly variable. Last week it was uh, Joe and Wheels played a bunch of Remnant 2 uh, um, and wait, got clowned we... upon. Well, we, you know what? We took out that one boss in one try, but then there were all those weird... You were clowned upon by a puzzle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's... Oh, yeah! The vampire guy, right. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> that, that, that ended poorly for all involved. Uh, but this week, uh, I will be away from my computer, so I'll just be heckling. Uh, but otherwise... Uh, Maybe we'll do some more Remnant, too, because I'm close to unlocking that super secret class. And I want to see if you bring someone along, someone along with you, if they get it, too. <laughs> but, yeah. So, that, that should be... Uh, that should be it for us for tonight, though, so... Uh, be, be sure to... If, if you got any, ask us questions. We always appreciate it. Otherwise, see you, Space Cowboys. See ya. Yeah.